welcome back to One Day You'll Thank Me. My name is Dr. Tara Egan, and I am your host, and I am here with my co-host, Anna. Hey, everyone. Today is a solo episode. We're going to talk about a couple of concepts related to adolescence, and they came to my mind because of how much I talk about them in my work with teens. So the terms are imaginary audience and personal fable. So let's take a second and give that definition of imaginary audience. Yeah, so the definition for imaginary audience is it refers to the belief that a person is under consistent close observation by peers, family, or strangers. It was originally described by David Elcott. Right, he's a psychologist. So basically what that means is that teens are super aware or they have this perception that everyone is noticing them that everyone is looking at them, is likely to be critical, is judging them, and it can be really stressful for teens. Mm -hmm. So there's an example that I give when I work with teens that you'll be happy to know has to do with you. Oh, boy. So in my example that I share, it's about a time when you were like mm, 11 or 12, and you and I walked into Target together. We were just by ourselves. And you look down and you notice that on your sweatshirt was like this dollop of jam it was like maybe the size of a quarter and you noticed it just as they were walking in and you're like mom I have jam on my sweatshirt this is so embarrassing and my reaction was like oh you know honey no one's gonna notice your sweatshirt and you were at this point like curled over yourself like trying to hide this splotch of jam as though everybody was just lined up ready to stare at you to see that you were wearing clothes that were not clean. You were just really struggling to stay relaxed mm -hmm. during the visit. Do you remember this? No. I mean, it does seem like something I would do, <laughs> but I don't remember this. I feel like there's probably a lot of incidences that are similar to this, mm -hmm. but this is one in particular that I know because I remember initially just wanting to dismiss you, like, oh, we're fine. No one's staring at you. From my perspective with my grown-up brain, I could see that no one no, cares. Right. No one cares. No one cares what Anna has on her sweatshirt when she walks into Target on a random <laughs> Tuesday afternoon. But I could tell that you were just kind of agitated. And, you know, you're not a kid who's going to like have a tantrum or refuse to go shopping or anything like that. But it was definitely very distracting and stressful for you. So I remember like, okay, let's pause. Let's look around and let's just see even who's in the vicinity of us mm -hmm. and we look around and there's like this woman wrangling her two-year-old you know in the aisle of target and really there wasn't even anyone physically near us to even take interest in what you were doing from my perspective it looked as though you felt at any moment somebody was going to just pop out and be horrified that you would go in public like this and so it's interesting because sometimes with parents they'll note this tendency for their teen to do this and they mm -hmm. get really stressed. They get worried that their kid is like preoccupied and self-absorbed and narcissistic and has a lack of empathy for other people. And I have to assure them this is like a really normal developmental stage for teens. And no, I was probably just paranoid. You were just paranoid. Well, right. It kind of gives the impression as though you are paranoid. Yeah. But in reality, it's a normal developmental stage that teens go through because they start to become really aware of their peers' opinion of them. 
So with real little kids, they're really interested in pleasing like their parents and their teachers. And it's not that they don't care about their friends, but really their focus is like with their family. Then as kids get older and they have a stronger interest in their peer group than they do their family of origin, then they get to be hyper aware of what their peers might think of them. And you're still in that stage now. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's, it's not like you're completely out of that stage, right? Yeah. You know what else this reminds me of? Hmm. That episode of Friends, it's like around season six, I think. And Phoebe and Rachel go running in Central Park. And Phoebe starts running and her arms and legs flail all over the place. And she's running crazy. And then you see Rachel like super embarrassed. Like, oh my God, what is she doing? Like, you're not supposed to run like that. Oh yeah. She's like jogging next to her like a robot. And she's horrified at how uninhibited Phoebe is as she's running. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so then... She start trying to ignore Phoebe, not ignore Phoebe, but like try not to be find, associated with her. Yeah, just try to find any excuse to not go running with Phoebe again because she was so embarrassed. Mm-hmm. So she had the perception. Well, I guess I have to point out that Rachel thinking that people were going to look at them in the park is not irrational. People probably would look at them. Yeah, I don't think strangers were really invested in how they were running and really gave it much thought Mm -hmm. they put a lot more importance on it than probably was appropriate yeah and that's the thing if you had taken time that you had jam on your sweatshirt and put it in the context of i'm about to do a presentation in front of my english class then you having the thought that somebody was staring at you and maybe noticing that you had a dirty sweatshirt on Mm -hmm. like that would have been more rational because everybody's staring at you while you're giving a presentation but to be in target we don't know anybody there we're not standing near anybody and you're really really uncomfortable and pretty convinced that you are doing something that everybody is going to be interested in is very teenager like Mm -hmm. super normal but for parents they can get concerned because we'll see those incidents happen kind of over and over in a teen's week or their month or just their teenage years. So it can be stressful on parents too. And Mm -hmm. once parents know that it's really normal and they can learn to not be dismissive, but really be reassuring and they can teach kids on how to be aware of what is reality. That's how I've always addressed it with you is just to kind of cue you to what's happening in your surroundings Mm -hmm. so that you don't veer off into sort of that irrational thinking that comes with that because it's really stressful on the teen to be assuming that everybody is watching them do you remember that time we brought a friend to the mall with you and we made like a spontaneous trip to the mall and that friend was at the mall and she was kind of like a little gloomy a little withdrawn and I was like hey what's going on and you said she really hates her outfit she really feels embarrassed oh yeah Uh do you remember that Mm -hmm. it ruined the time for her because she didn't feel like she looked cute enough to be walking around in public yeah she didn't have the self-confidence well and I think there can be the impression that having an imaginary audience is a reflection of self-confidence or poor self-confidence well if your kid was more secure in how he or she felt about themselves they wouldn't feel that way now knowing what we know about your friend Mm -hmm. like that's a friend who generally has decent self-confidence but when she was put in the situation where she felt unprepared to go to the mall and she didn't 
have the look that she was hoping to have. Mm-hmm. And I remember you saying, like, we don't even know anyone at this Yeah. Mall. Like, we're not even close to her house. We're not going to see anybody she, she knows. She wouldn't see anybody yeah. that she knew. That wasn't only what it was about for her. Some of it was her being worried that peers could see her. But also some of it was that she just didn't feel good in her skin at that minute. Yeah. So there was a couple different components to it, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. I just thought of a great example of imaginary audience. Okay. So I went to New York a few years ago. It was around my birthday, my 12th birthday, I think. So I showered the night before, and I woke up, and my hair was kind of greasy. And so I was kind of self-conscious, like, oh, my God, my hair looks gross. I'm in New York City. It's great. Like, everybody's wearing amazing outfits. And And you're not cool enough to be there? (laughs) Yeah. But And I have this greasy hair. And then we were also, like, taking pictures. So it was, like, staying in the pictures. And I was, like, making a big fuss about it. And so I was, like well, maybe I should put my hair in a ponytail. Maybe I should brush it or braid it or I don't know. I was just trying to think of different ways that I could just make myself feel better. But I just remember thinking that everybody was watching and thinking how disgusting my hair looked, even though it probably wasn't that big a deal to anybody else. Well, right. You were on a vacation in a fun city doing fun things, and no one knew you except your family. Mm -hmm. And so... Yeah, no one could care about your hair. Yeah. (laughs) That is a good example. Hey, this will be a good time for us to take a little break. We'll be right back. Welcome Welcome to to Moe's. Make any night taco night with a build-your-own taco kit from Moe's. Each kit comes with your choice of two proteins, tortillas, rice, beans, plenty of toppings, and as always, chips and salsa are free. You can feed the whole family for only $34.99. Order online or through Moe's app for curbside, pickup, or delivery. Make family dinner fun with Moe's Southwest Grill. Seriously, hon, bring home a taco kit tonight. Yep, I'm on it. Let's switch over and talk about personal fable a little bit. Do you want to define that? Yeah, so personal fable is defined as thinking that you're special and unique. Yeah, so just to describe it in a little bit more detail is teens, and once again, this is most of the time that teenage brain, they think even if they're doing the same thing as everyone else, that somehow their spin on it is different or unique. So... Well, I have a question. Yeah. It's not like... A good unique right so it's not like ooh, I have these bright blue shoes and nobody else has I'm super unique it's not like that right well okay so let me let me explain it further that idea of being special or unique actually translates to a lot of times these kids feeling as though the consequences of the world are not going to impact them so there's a couple ways to view it one is they think that each experience they have is unique to them let's say that they got braces okay well in general most kids experience with braces is pretty much the same you know you go and you have these certain exams and it takes this long and you put your braces on and you wear them for months and months and then you get them taken off but there'll be kids who feel like their experience with braces is somehow unique just because it's theirs they're not Um. able to recognize like this is kind of a run-of-the-mill thing and it is what it is Mm -hmm. a lot of times kids will have the impression that they're immune to certain consequences. They might hear story after story about how if you engage in some sort of dangerous behavior, mm-hmm. that that's something that could hurt you. But they'll think, no, nah, I'm good. 
you know, like, oh, I'll be fine. If you're like, you really shouldn't ride your bicycle without a helmet because if you were to get hit by a car, you could get a serious head injury. But they're Mm -hmm. like, I wouldn't get hit by a car. Like, I'm a good bike rider. As though their bike riding is somehow better than the other kids out there. When in reality, it might not be about how good of a bike rider you are. It might be more about the traffic or like a driver being out there and not paying attention to what's on the road. So sometimes kids will think that they are unlikely, like there's something about them that makes them special and immune to experiencing Mm. something out there. Got it. Yeah. So can you think of any real life examples? I remember you telling me about one of your friends said that they were smarter when they're drunk or something. (laughs) It's funny that you thought of that. So this example was, it was actually a friend of my brother's. And it was still back when we were teenagers. And he told me how everybody else, when they get drunk, they always think that they're just so smart. And they're not. They're drunk and they're dumb. (laughs) And then he said, but me, I really am smarter when I'm drunk. Oh, boy. So he thought, like, his drunken state was so unique that he actually got smarter. Whereas, like, everybody else who said that was just foolish. And so, and I had seen him impaired. So I was kind of like, dude, you are not any smarter than any other drunk person. But he was telling me so earnestly that he really felt when he was drunk, he tapped into a part of himself that was like truly on a higher intellectual plane. So he interpreted that event like he was somehow special and immune from sounding like an idiot when he's drunk. How do you think that happens? Why do you think he thought that? Well, I mean, we know it's a developmental stage that teens go through. And one of the things that's a benefit about it is it can actually help teens cope. Like if they have the idea that they are competent and that they can get through a new or a challenging situation, it can actually help them get through stressful circumstances. So there's an aspect of it that is really functional. And as parents, there's times where we're like, come on, dude, like you cannot ensure me that you're going to be safe if you go out riding your bike without a helmet. But If that kid has that extra burst of arrogance, that can help them get through the hurdle of something that's new and stressful. Do you think that the concept of personal fable can be implied to how people are responding to COVID-19? Yeah, I think it could because there is a significant part of the population that really feels they're going to be an exception to the possibility of being diagnosed with COVID-19. Yeah, I have a lot of peers in my grade that kind of just ignore the rules and just think, nah, nothing will happen to me. I'll be fine. Do you think that they think, well, I might get it and it's fine. I'm young and I'll live. Or do they actually think they probably won't get it? I think that it could go either way. I think that I have some friends who are like, no, like I have a good immune system. I'll be fine. And I think of other friends who are like, eh, I'll just get it, get it over with, and then just go back to regular life. Mm -hmm. So I'm seeing of the families that I'm working with who are not adhering to the recommendations by the CDC, they really do seem to feel as though COVID-19 somehow happens to other people or people who... Just not them. Yeah, just not them. I can't even express a rationale. It's not like people will say, well, my kid won't get lice because we have a clean household. And they don't recognize you can absolutely get lice from some other kid at school, even if your house is super clean. Like, Mm -hmm. there's just a lack of knowledge there. But I think with COVID-19 the rationale for why they might be exempt from getting it, they, they're not even really able to articulate it. It's, it's just sort of a, it won't happen to me. So there's kids who have that personal fable where they feel like there's something about them 
that's special or unique and it's going to protect them in this circumstance. Mm-hmm. And in our area, we live in South Carolina, there are so many beaches and that yeah. is such a common way that people vacation. And everybody feels like they're missing out on their summer. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it's a big part of Southern culture to go and spend time at the beach in the summer. When I was a kid, I grew up in upstate New York. Like, that wasn't necessarily a thing you did. Well, it's just so hot here, so. Mm -hmm. That's true. And it is nice when the beaches are close, but we know that those. There's just a chance. Yeah. We know that those are real hot spots. Mm -hmm. And so as someone who's pretty cautious about this, it kind of surprises me how people will ignore the story after story of people who are, yeah, we went to the beach and. And now we have a positive diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that is actually a really good example of there how. a lot of similarities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good example of how personal fable can apply to COVID-19. So, any other examples that we have? Why don't we do a summary? Okay. So, we talked about two concepts. We talked about imaginary audience. Mm-hmm. And we talked about personal fable. Do you feel like you're related to both of these topics? Yeah, I definitely can see them in everyday life okay imaginary audience is referring to that belief that a person is under constant supervision by their peers or their family or public in general and this is the result of them being very aware of what their peers think of them Mm -hmm. and it can be a little bit exhausting for parents personal fables a little bit different because this is the teen's belief that they're special and unique And while it can really help kids develop coping strategies and have a sense of competence, it also can give them a false sense of reality. They have a belief that consequences out there won't be experienced by them Mm -hmm. because somehow they're unique and special. So we talked about a couple of different examples of that just to illustrate it. But I really just want to reiterate with the audience that this is really a normal stage. And it's generally something that's going to pass. So for parents to be patient to validate kids' emotions without indulging them in irrational thinking. Try to understand them before you quickly judge them. Mm -hmm. And then if they need some reassurance, like for you, I know when we were in Target and I kind of was like, hey, let's tune into our environment and actually see who's here, Mm -hmm. who could even be looking at you because you weren't even able in the beginning of the conversation to hone in on the fact that there was literally no one there. Mm-hmm. So once you were gently, you know, I don't think I was grouchy about it or anything, but once I was able to get you to clue into the environment, still wasn't perfect. You still did not feel 100% till you got home and you changed out of that sweatshirt. But you at least were able to kind of chill out a little bit and not have it completely ruin your outing. Yeah. Well, I appreciate everyone listening today and mm-hmm. learning more about these two terms. And hopefully you found it helpful when... It comes to building up that knowledge base about your teen. Yeah. Make sure to stay tuned and subscribe to our episodes. Love you, Mom. Love you too, sweetie. Hello, this is Anna from One Deal Thank Me. We just wanted to let you guys know that we are looking for sponsors for our podcast. We've had a great response to our podcast so far, and we'd love to hear more about your product or service, especially if you have a product or service related to teens, parenting, or mental health. Please contact us at www.drterryegan.com. Hi, my name is Dylan, and I'm an occasional guest on my mom and sister's podcast, One Day You'll Think Me. 
I just wanted to remind you to please subscribe and leave a comment. Thanks for listening.